Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. may be seated. God is good. All the time. If you want to follow along in your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, If you're using a pew Bible, the page number is 1,795, 1,795. A couple things, always good occasion when there's uh, the announcement of the birth of a baby. So we're happy for Zach and Neely and Novi, for the Gibsons, uh, also for the Youngs and all those families. Um, But also, I don't know if you noticed, but there were, I counted at least four Uh, of our young brothers who were serving us this morning in the Lord's Supper. That's nice to see. Uh, I mean, they're they're like that high, but you know, there they are serving. That's beautiful to see. Uh, So moms and dads, thank you for teaching your children the gospel, and we're grateful that they obeyed it and are now serving the Lord. Now, there are a lot of things that I don't understand. Um, You probably say the same. Maybe you understand some of the things that I don't. But I remember when Brianna was in... uh, ninth grade, I think it was, or maybe even middle school, we were talking about math and she said, dad, you know what math stands for? What darling? Mental abuse to humans. I thought that's pretty good. I understand that, but I always struggled with algebra. Um, And good thing is I've not had to use it as a preacher. So it worked out all right. Don't understand that. Also don't understand why someone would get in the fast lane and go slow. I don't understand that. Uh, I don't understand why Tennessee lost to Kentucky. Well, it's more like I just don't like it, but it happened. But one thing that I do understand and love is a good pun. I know, dad jokes. So I'll give you a couple. Maybe you'll, you can use them later in your week. I heard one guy said, I know a lot of jokes about unemployed people, but none of them work. <laughs> Here's one for the bankers. You'll love this. Guy said, I got fired my first day on the job at the bank. 
lady asked me to check her balance, so I pushed her over. Well, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he's giving thanks for them. Thanks that they love the Lord, and thanks that they also love the saints, one another. Verse 15, 16, he says he doesn't cease to give thanks for them, making mention of them in his prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And he goes on and on. One of the things that he says is it's by the proof of everything that he says, by the proof of the resurrection, that all these things are, and, and he wants to explain what they are. But one thing that I love that he points out is that this Jesus, who was crucified, buried, and now raised, has ascended and is at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. You remember earlier uh, in chapter 1, Paul spoke about the blessings that we all have in the heavenly places. Now he mentions Jesus being seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And the right hand was a place of favor. The psalmist said, let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. We use the expression, and people do today too, this is my right hand man, uh, meaning someone who's real close, works alongside, who has authority. The right hand was also a place of victory. Uh, the psalmist goes on to write, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He'll answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. And finally, the right hand is a place of power. You have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, and high is your right hand. So Jesus is seated in a position of favor, of victory, and of power. And there he is exercising the rule of God over the kingdom of God. And this cosmic lordship that Jesus has is actually the fulfillment of another psalm. Psalm 110. If you want to look at it with me, you're welcome to. Just hold your spot in Ephesians and go back to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is quoted several times in the New Testament as a fulfillment of Jesus' lordship. Psalm 110. You're going to recognize some of the lines from this psalm. You're going to go, oh yeah, I remember reading that in Hebrews or wherever else. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are priests forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook of the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. That was a messianic psalm that uh, those early Christians, the Jewish Christians, really looked to. And those passages from this psalm are quoted uh, pretty liberally in the book of Hebrews. So as you read that psalm, if you will watch the progression of what Paul says throughout the Ephesian letter, you'll see the, the various points lining up. But back to Ephesians Jesus' enthronement 
at the heavenly places. There are a couple of things I want you to notice about it. Chapter 6, verse uh, 12 of the Ephesian letter. Look at that. Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers and the rulers of the darkness of the age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God is a struggle that is going on. And in that place, there are these various powers. Now back up to chapter 3, verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So not only is Jesus seated at the right hand of God in these heavenly places where there are also uh, evil spiritual powers operating, but we, the church, by our worship and by what we do, we are making known to those in the heavenly places what is the will of God, what is the wisdom of God. But here's the thing. You think of all these things that are occurring in the heavenly places. Chapter 1, verse 21. Jesus is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Jesus occupying the highest of these places, He does so having victory over all these evil powers that He might have to contend with. But their operation is seen in chapter 2, verse 2. Notice what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So you have not only Jesus at the highest, at the right hand of God, in these heavenly places. You have these evil forces at work in the heavenly places. We, the church, make known God's wisdom in the heavenly places. But also, we, we choose. Will it be the Jesus at the right hand of God that we will allow to lead us and to guide us? Or will it be these other powers? And their various influences. Just look around society and the things that were once Regarded. By the way, the word sin is a bad word to use. Sin, iniquity, trespass, all of those terms are bad words to use. You don't use that. Rather, you go alternative lifestyle sometimes, or, or, or maybe their inclination or, or uh, preference or various other words that people use to justify things that God clearly calls sin. And Isaiah even said in his own time in the 8th century B.C., what are those who call good evil and evil good, who put light for darkness and darkness for light. So we choose either to allow Jesus at the right hand of God to lead us, or we choose those other forces who give us a delusion in this world, who operate through various entities. And I'm not talking about possession, but you can definitely see the influence of the evil one all around us. So we, the church, are not to yield to such, but rather to stand with the Lord and allow Him to be the guide and the judge of us all. 
One of the things that we see Paul mentions about the various idols in 1 Corinthians 8, he says, Therefore concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. And then later, he points out the truth about these idols, these demons. He said, rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. So in their time, they faced a unique temptation or maybe uh, something to contend with that we don't have to face. We as the church, we gather around the Lord's table and are served and partake of those emblems that remind us of the body that was beaten and bruised, bloodied and broken, and also of that emblem that reminds us of the blood that was shed for our sins that we could be made whole if we have faith in the Lord and obey His gospel. But in their time, you also had the pagan temples, and some of their friends might have invited them to a feast. And more often than not, if you bought meat that was sold in the marketplace, that meat came from being offered to one of these idols. And so some of them, they said, well, there really is no such thing as any other God. The Lord God of heaven is the only God. So there's no meaning behind eating this meat that we bought in the marketplace. But there are others who knew, well, you're eating that meat and that was sacrificed to an idol, so you're now partaking in the worship of that idol. So you had this problem among those Christians there. And he says that, you know, they're not sacrificing to God per se, but they're sacrificing to demons. I don't know, people go, oh, you know, it's, it's this whole notion of, of God and, and the devil and the devil made me do it. And some people really dismiss that, uh, but you can't. If you believe in the Scripture as the inspired Word of God, deny what the Scriptures say and even the result that we see here on earth. There are some things that you just can't explain. Some people that, for whatever reason, there's no rational explanation for how they are the way that they are. And it's unfortunate. You think of some of the most notorious people in society that have been imprisoned and jailed uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, for one, the, the, the night stalker, these various murderers, serial killers. And you just go, something's not right up there. You know, who was it? It was, uh, I forget, one serial killer. Uh, he was, you know, had a family, lived a normal life, was brought up right, and, you know, went to church. And so everybody was really puzzled to find out he was a serial. I can't think of his name to save my life. Somebody knows. I know you... All you women watch these murder mysteries all the time. Husbands, be weary, because they know how to kill you and cover it up, so be nice. But that's just pure evil, what some of these people do. Pure evil. God has not only subjected all things to Jesus, but I want you to notice chapter 1, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet 
and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This demonstrates the intimate relationship between Jesus and his people. We are his body, indicating that we manifest here on earth the living and exalted Jesus. And this anticipates the discussion of the nature of spiritual warfare that Paul elaborates on throughout this letter, where we participate in the triumph of God over these power and authorities. So let me, let me I, I got to get on my soapbox and, or preach or whatever you want to call it. The church is important. You cannot dismiss the church because the church was important to Jesus. I know there's a prevailing mindset. People say, well, I can be a Christian without the church. There's no such thing that exists. When you become a Christian, you are made a member of the body of Christ. You may choose not to assemble with the church. And that's something altogether different. But to say that the church is unimportant is perhaps blasphemous, especially when you see the attention given to the church. And my favorite illustration is from Ephesians chapter 5 where Jesus is the husband and the church is his bride. Now, I, let me ask you one question. How many husbands are content to be accepted and their bride pushed away? Maybe in a dysfunctional family, maybe in a dysfunctional marriage. But if you don't want anything to do with Stephanie... That's fine. It's a package deal. Neither of us will be there. So if you want anything to do with Stephen, don't shut her out. That's my wife. I'm faithful to her. I made vows to her. I didn't make vows to my children. I didn't make vows to anybody else. I made vows to her. She is my bride. She is important. She, only second to God, is the most important person in my life. So when I hear Christians talking about, oh, you don't need the church, I can be a Christian without the church, there's no such thing. Now let's, let's get down to the, to the brass tacks of it. Maybe you feel that way because you have seen hypocrisy in other Christians. Fair enough. Welcome to the club. We're all hypocrites. Some of us are more blatant about it than others. Some of us hide it better than others. But every one of us at some point has been a hypocrite. Maybe you've been treated unkindly by Christians. Fair enough. But don't substitute one Christian or a group of Christians for the church. If you leave the church because of what people did, then your faith was in people and not in God. Put your faith back in God, and when He says and speaks about the importance of the church, His bride, that's where we need to step in line. Oh, but you just don't know. Hey, you don't know. You want to talk about what you've dealt with with the church? I'll be glad to sit down and listen on one condition, you listen to what I have to say of how I've been treated. 
And I've told some stories along the way, but, you know, despite the people, when you look at it, at least from my perspective, the, the mistreatment that I've dealt with, it's, it's usually been just a few people within one congregation. Sometimes it has been an elder or more in the congregation. You know, I've got all these people that I love and that love me, and I have one or two or three that are just pains in my neck. It is what it is. I've wanted to quit preaching. I've wanted to quit ministry because there's a part inside me that really wants to not be a Christian when people are ugly the way they can be, especially the brethren. So you come talk to me. You tell me your stories. I'll tell you mine. And the reason I'm still a member of the body of Christ, the reason I'm still in ministry, the reason that I will never forsake the church is because... It's important to God. She is important to God. Therefore, she is important to me. And she should be to you as well. When you comprehend what Paul is about to teach, it's going to result in one thing as you go forward in Ephesians. The more deeply we grasp these truths, the more confident we're going to find ourselves before God. And the more we understand the position of God the more profoundly it will affect how we live as Christians. That is what we will get out of this Ephesian letter. Now, understanding these things gives us greater certainty into our hope, that hope of His calling that is mentioned here in verse 18. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? We use the word hope differently than Paul used it. We use it as wish. I, I, boy, I hope I get that promotion. Boy, I hope this team wins. I, you know, we're saying, this is what I wish. Paul uses it a different way. A better translation would be assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Our hope is the solid expectation of our future because we trust entirely in what God has done for us. Our confidence in this assurance isn't based on what we do, but is based on what Jesus has done. We have what God has promised by trusting completely in Him, by having that faith, by confessing Jesus as Lord, by being buried with Him in baptism, by walking in the light as He is in the light, and doing our level best on this earth to follow Him. William Randolph Hearst invested a fortune in collecting art from around the world, and one day he heard of a valuable piece that he wanted to own. So he contacted his agent and he sent his agent to track down this piece of art and to purchase it. And so his agent traveled extensively, made calls, sent telegrams and so forth. And after months of searching for it, he went to Mr. Hurst and he said, I found that rare piece that you've been having me look for. He said, where'd you find it? He said, it was in one of your warehouses. Guy didn't realize that he already had it. He'd been searching for something he already possessed. And we as Christians shouldn't live like that. Begging and pleading for God to give us something that we already possess. We have His forgiveness. We have eternal life. We have access to the riches of God. All that heaven, belongs to, all that heaven has belongs to us. And so don't become content with a weak Christianity that grovels in spiritual insecurity. Any 
confidence that you and I have, it's not because I'm a good person. I try hard. I, it has nothing to do with I. It has everything to do with He. He did this. Do you really know if you're saved, Stephen? Do you really know if you'll go to heaven when you die? Uh, if it's left up to my own abilities, if it's left up to my own efforts, no. But Jesus did the heavy lifting. I trust in Him. There's where the confidence comes from. Nothing to do with me, everything to do with Him. So if you ever get on that high horse where you're thinking, I, 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 stop, just quit. You are not that righteous, you are not that holy, neither am I. But He is. And we've trusted Him, and He has given us His grace, forgiveness, the hope of eternal life. Have confidence in that. Do away with any weak Christianity where you feel like you have to grovel because you have spiritual insecurity. You go, Jesus has done it. Jesus has accomplished it. That's what matters. If you are not a Christian, become a Christian. If you are a Christian who needs forgiveness and you need to be right with God, do that. We can assist you in either of these you can do it here publicly this morning, or you can... Look at all y'all packing up like I ain't talking. <laughs> I was going to see how far I got before I had to call you out. But in all sincerity, um, we would love to help you. If you want to study further, we'd love to study further with you. If you just want to sit down and talk, you're not sure, you know, let us know. We want to serve, and we'll do anything that we can to be helpful. But if you wish to do that public repentance or that public response this morning, you can do so. Just come forward as we stand and sing.